He's the data guy and he wants to have a talk with his business pals while they're off the clock on podcast like a business. So today on Podcast Lab, we're meeting with Dave Barlow. Dave Barlow is the acting editor at Data Lab and actually has come up through the ranks on his own. Started as a Twitch streamer and you know what? I'll let him tell his own story. All right. So Dave, good to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us on Podcast Lab today. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. So like Rob said, uh, not only professional video editor, but you also are a content creator. That's actually where you and I met. And um, yep. I just, I, I guess I wanted to know what's the overlap like uh, for you on that? Like, are you, are you finding that you're doing more editing, more creating of the content itself? Uh, are you editing for other people? Like what, what, what does your day-to-day look like? Uh, there's definitely a huge overlap. I mean, when I started streaming, I had no idea when it came to video. I've I've got a lot of a background in audio. I was a professional musician for about 10 years before I decided to become a streamer. And that helped me a lot in the sense that I had an idea of audio and I had some audio equipment. I had this microphone. This is about a 12, 13-year-old microphone that I've had forever at this point. Um, but when I got into to content creation, it, it, it was uh, very eye-opening about just how much more information there is about codecs and bit rates and video types and resolutions <laughs> and frame rates and just all of that stuff. Um, so it's been quite a, quite a journey in the last four years learning that. So working in content creation, though, uh, I'm sure you deal with data, too, all over the place. Uh, when, when did it click for you that it's data-driven, that data is what you're doing now? I would say, so when I started trying to create content, it was um, April of 2018. And from April until November, I had no idea what I was doing. So having data for that period of time wouldn't have really been very helpful to me because I was so overwhelmed with trying to learn just everything, just absolutely everything all at once. Um, it sort of clicked around November or so of 2018. Um, I started streaming daily instead of starting just random streams at random times without a schedule. I started to track what times of day worked better for me. I started to tr try and use other websites to see what games had a decent, um, what's a word for it, a decent ratio of viewers to streamers. Because if a game has two or three giant streamers streaming it and no one else streaming it, it's a soft market. You could stream it and some people might see you, but if there's 10,000 people streaming it, there's no chance. So around November of 2018, I started really looking into as much of that data as I could and working through some of the backlog of the, the information that Twitch gave me. And I realized I have no idea how to actually gather any data for that, that, uh, that period of time. That was what that taught me more than anything. And yeah. that was the skill that I tried to focus on from that point onwards for a few months. I remember 2018 Twitch and what data we had access to, man. Oh my gosh. It was impossible at the time to get anything good. And between yep. like all of the big streamers giving you advice on social media and stuff and showing their numbers, it was the wild west. It was like you had to basically put your own data gathering systems together. Absolutely. And now for people who don't understand Twitch, I mean, this isn't like YouTube where people just go and launch a half hour a week. This is people who are like living in their channel, doing whatever they're doing all day and figuring out that data. What's funny to me is Ryan asked a question on editing timelines and data we thought would be related to editing, but really it sounds like the market data is what really helped get your in 
interest, like spark your interest in data in general. That's kind of cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, the data that came that I was able to, uh, as Ryan pointed out, basically gather for myself because there really wasn't much in the way of anything that I could find that gave me relevant data to me, basically pointed me towards a game called Old School RuneScape. But the main reason it did is because there were not a huge amount of streamers streaming it, but there were a huge amount of people watching it. So the data that I found was there's a huge amount of throughput but not a lot of people delivering that content. So it ended up a really good market for somebody that wanted to grow initially. Whereas if I had gone into like a giant section like Minecraft or just chatting or something, I'd just be lost in a sea of two viewer streams. And in doing that, I then refined that to what are the people watching this kind of content looking for? And from that, I found they want guides on how to do content that makes them money and they want free money in game. <laughs> so for months and months, the most successful stream I ever did on Twitch, we call it Cork on Vork. Um, it was killing the most profitable boss in the game all day, every weekend and giving away the profit of that, the profit share of that to the chat every second run in a sort of a raffle, almost a game show kind of a way. And that was the thing that brought me from a two or a three viewer stream to 20, 30, 40 viewers. And that's actually where Ryan and I met because he was looking for that content. And that was the first sign to me that I had looked for data. I'd found that data. I'd understood it. And I'd actually put it into practice in a way that gave me results that I was hoping for. Now, before that, where you were looking at data, it had to be just all kinds of frustrating to like think, oh, this is the final, this is the map, this is the thing I needed. And then bam, you're just like, I don't know how to use this, right? Like, how was that journey for you? Because I know that's how I felt when I go through other kinds of data. I can only imagine what you went through. Well, as Ryan pointed out, 2018 Twitch really doesn't, it's not like YouTube. YouTube tells me my demographic, my, my age group, what time of day people are watching. It tells me so much more information. Twitch, it's like, here is the approximate average viewers you had and maybe how many hours you stream this month. And wow. beyond that, that's about it. Wow. You know, uh, they've gotten a little better, I'll admit, but they haven't gotten anywhere near as, as good as YouTube is. So trying to, the problem wasn't even trying to glean information from data. It was trying to figure out how to compile the data in the first place with no real basis of knowledge for that. So it's, uh, it's been quite the experience. I think it's really interesting that you sort of came upon, uh, what a lot of content creators are saying you should do now, which is niching down by yourself without ever having like looked that up as a marketing term or anything. You started as gaming Twitch streamer who streams whenever, and you ended up niching all the way down to guide content on one specific video game to, to literally on hit one that specific market. boss like, even yeah you literally found the smallest niche you could hit and you found success at least at the time yep looking at 40 viewers a success i think is a great step too because going from nothing to 40 is a hell of a step i know a lot of people may listen and think well I, my favorite people have millions of subscribers but it's not easy to go from no. zero to something. Going from that to 40 regular people is... Well, I, when I heard you say that, I hear from a business side, you started building a relationship, you started building a community, you started building expectations between you and the community. Like you did a lot there aside from just playing some video games with some kids or whatever, right? That was really kind of... The raffle idea, that is really cool too, honestly. I'm taking notes on all the stuff you're doing. Well, and honestly, like on that note too, uh, having 40 viewers at one time puts you in like the top 1% of Twitch, doesn't it? 
Oh, way more than that. To put that into context, there's a few different websites like uh, Twitch Tracker and I think Social Blade that you can track your stats on Twitch a lot more effectively than any of the on-site tools. And I found these way afterwards, unfortunately. I don't know if Twitch Tracker existed back then. Anyway, it doesn't matter. If you look on Twitch Tracker right now, if you have an average viewership on Twitch of around 10 viewers, you're in the top 1%. If you have an average viewership where I was, I was in literally the top 0.15% of the entire website with 40 average. And that's Nuts. insane. I don't know whether that speaks to whether I succeeded in reading the data correctly or whether it's just impossible to grow on Twitch. But either way, I'm taking that as a success. I think it's a little bit of both. But I want to I wanna mention, too, that like even at those 40 viewers, like the data shows you weren't really successful, right? Like. It's not like yeah, you people were hearing that now think you're it. making a Bentley a week. You know like, what I mean? You, like, you were like, I, if you don't mind talking, talking about the I data was making behind. an average of $23 a month. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. Exactly. It's what I'm and, I was, yeah. and for the, for the record, I was streaming seven days a week, five Ooh. to six hours a day at that point. So and I love that it clicked on your own mind. Like this isn't long-term. I can't do this forever. Well, it was what I wanted to get out of Twitch at the time was something that I had succeeded in because I just, I didn't care about it being a business so much as with the lockdown and everything with COVID starting, especially and with, you know, just not being able to go out. I wanted something where I could maintain some degree of social contact, even if it was with strangers, so that I wouldn't feel like I was just going insane sitting alone in my house. Yep. So the monetization was never really the primary, but then at some point it the trigger flipped and you're just like, you know what, if I'm doing this, I might as well be making money to do this. I think I actually might have been part of the catalyst for that. <laughs> uh-huh. You were a Fucker. huge part of the catalyst for moving to YouTube, but if you mean part of the catalyst for that in terms of what killed my Twitch channel, that's sort of a next question, right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess on that, you, you've determined that basically you're, the entirety of what you're trying to do with, with your life is data-driven at this point, right? Like you're, you're working from home, you're, yeah. you're creating content. Was there a point where you ever found data that actually ended up burning you? Like something oh, yeah. that was just vehemently wrong, something that like well, killed immediately, you. Maybe, immediately maybe, after the success. Maybe killed you your Twitch it. channel. I can tell in his voice that you can feel it too. It's not like it like. <laughs> yeah, it's visceral. It's yeah, visceral. Yeah, I can tell in his voice. Oh, so, sorry, man. Let's talk about how I screwed myself over on Twitch. (laughs) Now, the problem with Twitch is you're only live when you're live. It's not like YouTube. You can't post a video and it's live 24-7 for every day of the week after that. On Twitch, if you don't maintain a schedule, if you're not live, if you're not there, people forget about you and move on to a degree. Mm. Now, I had taken the information that I'd gotten. Okay, I'm playing this game. I've niched down into this content. I've niched down into this content that was working well for me. I was starting to grow a community. And I didn't fully understand that niching down that far was the primary source of my growth. So I thought, now that I'm growing, now that I'm getting 20 and 30 and 40 average viewers, I can effectively niche up, which did not work out at all in any sort of a good sense. Now, the newest game that was coming out that was going to be like a flavor of the month situation was Classic WoW. I'd never played World of Warcraft. I thought, hey, 
This is going to be huge. There's going to be a lot of people playing it. I used to love MMOs back when this actually was like in its original release, 2006 or so or seven or whatever those files were from. So I got my Discord together. I got my community together. I got a bunch of people together and we were going to get a guild going. We were going to do a 24-hour stream. We were going to make this great big push to grow exponentially through World of Warcraft Classic. And I got absolutely just washed out by the thousands of other people with the exact same idea and didn't stand Uh. out from the crowd in any way, shape, or form and ended up right back down to three viewers. Oh, no! And because I tried and tried for a couple of months on that one, it ended up screwing me so badly that when I returned to the previous content, I was only getting 8 to 15 viewers on a weekend, whereas I would be getting 30 and 40 before, with spikes up to a little higher. So data definitely burned me on that one by reading it poorly. Right. I mean, a lot, that's, that's part of it, right? Like learning that data, putting those systems in place. I mean, even oh, yeah. putting, putting data lab together, putting podcast lab together, like I'm sure Rob can also attest to the fact that data has burnt us a bunch of times. Dude, I mean, this, this is just like that. This has been eight or nine iterations to get to the point where we're recording this episode right now. And like, huh. <laughs> truth, truth be told man everything like, the first time you do everything it's like why did that work why didn't that work you know <laughs> like you like to attribute absolutely. it to we know what we're doing that's the history and i must be experienced but in reality there's a i like to say luck is the combination of what happens when all the right things are present right we sort of a, so same idea it. like luck favors the prepared the, the yeah. situation has to be perfect for luck to take effect absolutely I know uh, one company I was at, we put a huge like multi-million dollar customer on hold because they had like another service that they were $10 behind on or something. And that was an interesting conversation for the C-suite to go talk about. And it's just because one guy didn't have the right data, right? So they do their job, put the guy on hold who's late on his bill. Meanwhile, it's another company that's paying us millions and millions and millions. Oops. Yeah, probably not great. No, definitely wasn't. And it's like, how do you explain that to somebody is how that happened by misinterpreting it. Just like I'm sure when you thought, hey, I can niche up. And then looking back on it, you're like, God, that was dumb. But when you thought it, you're like, wait a minute, I can niche up. The world's my oyster. And that's how it happens, right? Oh, yeah. This is going to be exponential growth. And then it was an exponential failure. But now it wasn't a failure. It was just a bump in your road. Because honestly, now what you've done on YouTube is better than what you even did on Twitch. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've spent, I've spent around two years on each platform and embarrassingly enough, I actually looked into this a little while ago and I collectively have streamed on Twitch for 3,500 hours, 3,500 hours. And I'd love to tell you that that was time well spent, but after probably about 800 hours, I would say it was more likely wasted time than not. Um, I've spent substantially less time on YouTube, and for some contrast, I've got around 45,000 total views on my Twitch channel, whereas I've got two videos right now. One of them's at 160-some thousand, one's over 200,000 views on YouTube, and I've maybe put 20 to 25 hours collectively into those two videos versus 3,500 for 45,000 views. And that kind of leads me into the next question (laughs) I have for you. And that's uh, what's what, like you, you've obviously cultivated what could be a career and what you're, you're treating as a career out of data. What was the last big thing? And I think it might be one of those videos you just referenced that like the data paid off for you. And you were like, God damn, I'm glad that turned out the way that it did. 
a, lo- a lot of YouTube early on for me was just stabbing into the darkness, like no idea really what I'm doing, throwing some things at the wall, seeing what sticks and looking at what works for other people in a similar area of content. And the video that I had that worked out the best turned out to be a more informative, instructional, guide-based video for the video game that I was streaming at the time. And I tried making other types of content. I tried making more like, let's play gameplay, not educational or guide-based content. It did okay, but it didn't really do great. And the most recent video I posted was another guide, but I'd taken everything that I'd learned, everything that you and I had even discussed, Ryan, about uh, the first 30 seconds of a video capturing somebody and hooking somebody into it. And if you can't get them in the first 30 seconds and you make a 20-minute video, you wasted 19 and a half minutes because no one's watching it. And I took all of the information that I could possibly have gotten from that. I even went way out of my comfort zone and and put way more energy into the first 30 seconds than what I have ever been comfortable with, because you can probably tell I'm a pretty lax, monotone kind of a guy, 99% of the time. And I sold people on it, and instead of saying, hey, please subscribe to me, I gave them a reason to. I gave them, subscribe to me and this is what you get. Subscribe to me, and here's what I'll deliver to you. If that's not enough, here's a visual example of where you'll go from and to, and another request to subscribe to me with more being given to you. At one point I said, if you remember to like and subscribe, I'll remember to put in chapters. I was going to put in chapters anyway, but it artificially gave them the idea that they would get more out of the content if they did what I wanted them to. And as a result, I'll pull up that YouTube video's stats uh, in the background here and tell you. The one that I posted last April of 2021, it has a little over 200,000 views. It's currently at 207,000 views right now. But because I didn't know what I was doing with call to actions, because I couldn't effectively explain what my value that I was giving people was, in 207,000 views, it's gotten me 853 subscribers, which sounds really good. Until you look at the video that I'm talking about now, that has 161,000 views, and it's got me 3,100 subscribers. Wow. And so all it was was that you looked at the data and you decided that your CTAs needed to change, basically. like Absolutely. All it was was 90% of it was the first 30 seconds. Because that's where I was losing people before. That's the problem I was having, was I'm not hooking people in that time to get them into the rest of the content. And the rest of the content I did put a little more work into as well. I realized that my niche is I grew up watching how it's made. Everyone loves those types of guides, but no one really succeeds in delivering them. Everyone knows how it's made, right? Everyone loves how it's made. I basically made my guide like a how it's made video for how to do what I was trying to show you how to do. And people just ate it up. It was great. I love it. So I found out how to niche down in the guide market into how it's made style guides that deliver information in a digestible way after the first 30 seconds. Is there a niche you're looking to go after at this point? Or are you trying to stick where you're at? Right now, I'm trying to find ways to... I don't want to say broaden the niche that I'm in right now, but... I feel that I'm on a really comfortable level of having niche down. There's definitely different layers of it. Like the top layer of it is I'm playing video games. Way too broad. Everyone's doing that. Next layer down is I'm playing this video game. And then it's I'm playing this video game on this server with these mods or with this rule set or whatever. And then beyond that, it's I'm making informational content for how to succeed in doing that niche. So I'm about what I would consider four layers down. And 
I don't really think going further than that makes sense for me. But for some people, they might niche down beyond that and go into like, I'm going to make meme content or clickbait content or, you know, shorts or something like that. And what I'm trying to do right now is basically just make more of the content that's been successful to try and refine the quality of that without changing the level of the niche, if that makes sense. It does. It does very much so. Actually, I like how you just explain the layers. It's actually a really good way to kind of say level one, level two, level three about all that too. Because it, it can be ambiguous to people just thinking, I'm going to stream to be like, well, how do I layer down into the niche like that? Like video game let's play versus a guide or versus a different well, style mean, of game. Even thinking about this from an outside perspective, I really like, I, I consider myself so, somewhat of a content creator. I did it for a while. I, I prefer the behind the scenes now, but looking at this, from from Cork's perspective and understanding how the data works and yeah. just the idea of niching. I mean, like, uh, I, I I'm sure there are people that never thought about how a YouTuber comes up with their content. They just click subscribe and walk away, right? Like, because they right. enjoy that oh, content. Absolutely. And they and must. So, just, I'm guilty of that right now. David, I, I watch people about without it too, thinking like, of that at all all the time. Watch videos together and been like, man, look how many edits it must have happened to just make this first minute of video, right? And people don't even realize that. They're like, well, somebody just must have gotten their cell phone out and recorded that perfectly the first take. When in reality, it's 20 different cameras, 30 different shots, makeup, lighting, smoke and mirrors, right? Like post-processing. Right, exactly. Before you got into the content creation sphere, whatever you were doing beforehand, was there was there data involved? Were you analyzing things like this? Was there anything you were keeping track of that kind of feels like similar? Pre-Twitch? Yeah, pre-Twitch. Like whatever you were doing before. I know you said you were a musician for a while. I don't know if things came mm, before yeah. that. Was there any sort of, you know, not necessarily number crunching, but like data that you kept track of or you had to work with or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned, I was, a, I was a professional musician for a little over 10 years before I was a Twitch streamer. and. There was a lot of different people that I had to work with. Sometimes a bass player would be sick or arrested, depending. Uh, sometimes a drummer would have a mental breakdown or, you know, his kit would break <laughs> or his car would break down or something like that. There's all kinds of reasons that we had to have all kinds of different people on effectively on call. And some of them would just not come out for less than a certain amount of money, or some of them were really much better at a certain niche than another. I remember one guy would insistently bring an electric drum kit to a blues band, and it made no sense to me, but he just didn't want to bring his acoustic drum kit. So I would watch and see what the audience perception was mm -hmm. of playing like authentic blues with like 80s synth drums in behind it. And usually it wasn't good, but sometimes it was. And I tried to tell when that would work and then hire that drummer for those band or those bars or those types of gigs. So there was definitely a what's working and what's not working, what caused bottles to get thrown at us and what caused the tip jar to fill up, those types of things. Um, I wish it was hyperbole. Uh, Dude, those are the data points people don't realize are data points. I love that you're bringing them up as if they were data points because that's really, if you're not realizing those indicators, they're going to keep coming, right? Like, but if you can yeah. pick up on it and say, man, if I can get rid of Synthrum Dave, <laughs> we get, <laughs> we get beamed with less projectiles. It's a pretty easy thing yep. to identify. Things like that. But I didn't realize at the time that they were relevant data points to a point that I should be acting on them to the point that I should have been acting on them. There's, right, um, there's no spreadsheet. Nobody's like giving you a report no. by the end of Q1 that says, hey, uh, you know, 
musician report 101. Here's your data. Now, here's my question for you then. Do you think having the knowledge of that fact that some of that data should have been tracked would have made things better? A lot of circumstances where I would love to be able to approach a bar and say, hey, here's the demographic that we that we do the best with, or here's an approximate number of people that we can bring out, or here's some kind of data as opposed to, yeah, you can watch us on YouTube from that video where the drummer was drunk and fell on his drum kit, or like, <laughs> you can, you know, here's, here's the album that we haven't recorded yet, so here's like a couple of samples from the rough cuts of it. It'd be way more easy to be like, hey, here's what we can offer, here's the data that backs it up, as opposed to a bunch of hyperbole about maybe we can do this, maybe we can't, maybe the bar will be full, maybe there'll be zero people there. And I think that would have been a lot more useful than I realized at the time in getting more shows, getting better quality of shows, getting paid more. Mm. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, though, huh? But I wonder if like when you're a musician, how much of it was, I want to make sure I make a ton of money doing this versus, hey, there's a gig tonight, I can do it, right? It's not, I don't know if you're approaching it as much as a business as a gig, right? Like what you do with your well, time now streaming, I see you book it like days in advance. You book what you're, it's it's great. It's I try to do it as good as you do, honestly, because you're like booked out what days you're going to be streaming, what days you're going to be editing, what time you're going to be doing what. But I can't imagine there's a lot of that with covering for people and gigging. There is and there isn't. There's a lot of that with scheduling band practices. And if you know in advance that someone's not going to be available for a show and you have to catch up, say, a bass player to four hours or three hours of music, then you have to start scheduling when they're able to practice, when they're able to rehearse, what material you need to oh, yeah. give them, what they do and don't know, what they excel at. If they're, I've played with bass players that are graduates of, of jazz and classical from universities, and I've played with bass players that are you know, learn by ear. And you have to know, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to know what their strengths and weaknesses are and then schedule, effectively schedule around that. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, see, I'm telling you, man, whole world I'm not familiar with how that, that all goes down. That's cool. So I think we can all agree that data is the reason that your uh, next career move happened because seeing your YouTube channels is the reason that Rob and Data Lab reached out. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the cooking does... channel actually. Yeah, the cooking channel, actually, which we haven't even had an opportunity to talk about at this point. Talk um, about a different niche, too, right? <laughs> like. And so the question I have here for you is, um, what does the data look like in this other niche, I guess, that you're working in, being a, a, an editor, I guess? It's not necessarily even just a video editor. I've seen you do graphic design a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I've, se I've seen you, you know, pretend that you know how to do motion effects for as much as you need to do them for your... Oh, yeah, your animated series coming out. Good... Wait, I love that, Ryan. Let's yeah, have that don't, secretly. Don't, don't oversell that one too much. And so I just, <laughs> I just want to know, like, what, what drives that part of it? Like, obviously, it's an income. It's, it's something new. It's related to the other niche that you're familiar with. But what else drives that? Like, what, what metrics do you look at? What data do you track? How do you know you're getting better, stronger, <laughs> faster? Well, I approach that a lot in a similar way to what I would approach Twitch when I didn't have a source of that data. I would go out and watch what other people are doing, and especially what people that are not successful are doing. Now, there's a lot of really successful people that you can watch and try and emulate, and you can learn what they're doing right. But there's also people that are completely, completely dropping the ball that are making almost identical content. Huh. And the big difference is, what are they screwing up? 
What are they missing? What are they doing wrong? Why aren't they using long tail keywords? Why haven't they tagged their video? Why does their thumbnail suck? Why aren't people clicking on it? Why aren't people watching it? If I watch something that has a thousand views in a year and I think, damn, that's actually really good content, I want to dig into why that only has a thousand views. I want to know exactly what pitfalls I can avoid when I go to make that same type of content. I want a million views on it. I don't want a thousand views. I think that thought process, that's actually wild. Like I never thought about it like that. I've always looked at emulating the people who are successful, but never not emulating the lack of success. That's, that's a really unique perspective. I call it mitigating failure. Mitigating. I like that a lot. Like that, that spoke to me in a way I didn't expect it to. <laughs> I'm telling you, Dave, go through our Zoom recordings today because we definitely said at the beginning of this call, we should write down all the things we're failing at. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And boy, yep. you just gave us an exact reason as to why, man, because yeah. you make some really good points because like you could have 90% of it right. And I'm just looking off camera or speaking with a lisp or something that is enough off putting. Or your, or your glasses or. Cockeyed. Your glasses are reflecting the screen the entire time. This whole time. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. Or, you know, you're recording not through your GPU or whatever. Whatever happens. That one thing out of a thousand that you messed up that causes people not to watch it. And it might not even be in the content itself. It might be in the metadata. It might be in how people are finding the content. The content might uh be perfect, but if no one can find it, no one can watch it. Very true point. So that's why I love so much of the time we ask you about data. You're like the market, the people in the room, even though you're doing the service of the editing or the content creation or the gigging, I love your attunation to the people who are paying attention to you. Right. Very cool to me. It always comes back to your target audience, right? Like it always comes back to your buyer's persona. That's the way I like to describe it. Like, yeah, at the end of the day, the time you're investing in something, you're doing it for a certain subset of people, whether it's your client as a video editor your client as a business intelligence specialist or as a marketing specialist or your audience on YouTube, your discord community, like you're, you're using your time to produce something for somebody else. So why not make sure that's the person that you care to produce it for? Yeah. So that kind of leads me into the next thing. How do you keep up on that? How do you find new people who are failing? How do you understand what data you should be paying attention to? How do you keep up? In especially an industry like content creation, where it's literally all over the place. I mean, these algorithms change every 10 minutes. Well, everybody says they're a guru expert nowadays too, man. I can't watch any social media without five ads about this guy who knows the best thing about YouTube and Instagram. Yep. And I'll tell you right now, I've watched a lot of that content. And you know what? What I've learned from that is they're not giving you good advice. They're growing in a niche. Yep. And that's something that a lot of people overlook. The niche of being informative to people, yep. the niche of telling people how to do something is huge. And then yep. when you niche that down into a skill that people are looking to accomplish, as long as you're giving them enough good advice that they can at least make an effort at succeeding, then people will watch it. But if you if you had all of the right answers, you wouldn't need to be making that content in the first place, and you'd be the next, you know, Moist Critical or XQC or Asmund Gold or whatever, whoever you want to emulate. Yeah, Ludwig, Mr. Beast. Almost, I don't know, I don't even want to say it, but <laughs> what I've found is almost all of those, here's how to do it, channels. I've never seen one that has millions and millions of subscribers. Yeah, I mean, and I think, I think if anybody is familiar with the Twitch creation space over the last 10 years, they'll agree with that wholeheartedly because... There was a period of time, what, probably 2018 about to like 2020, where every Twitch streamer was a guru on how to be a Twitch streamer. 
Oh, absolutely. And it'd be stupid information. Like if you want to grow on Twitch, start a Twitter account. Yeah. You want to be a Twitch streamer, you need to focus on what you're doing wrong, why you don't have an audience and where you can bring an audience in from. And the actual answer to that, for me at least, was get the hell out of Twitch and move to YouTube. Build an audience on YouTube. But then when I realized you can stream on YouTube, wh what's, what's the point of Twitch, though? Why would I convert 5% of my YouTube audience to Twitch when 100% of them are on YouTube? The original appealing thing to Twitch is that it was a social outlet. It wasn't a commercial thing like we covered earlier, right? So mm -hmm. now that you're like, wait a Just minute, a TV. it's like Twitch with business to go to YouTube. Well, it, I, I would posit that at least for the uh, top 0.001% of Twitch, it's also a business though. Like that mentality is yeah, there. Yeah, sure. Right, sure. And so the, the, the big thing I think becomes is that in, in a market, the data shows that competition breeds better products, right? Like, and so the competition of YouTube stepping into that space. And I, I mean, you saw YouTube over the last three years, four years has offered tens of million dollars worth of contracts for exclusivity for some of these people. Oh, absolutely. And, and a lot of people are, that are partners are moving from Twitch where they're already getting paid. They already have that established business and they're moving off the platform to YouTube. Yep. After getting tens of millions being like, yeah, you can keep that. I know I'll get more over here. That's amazing. Yeah. I know that I'll keep more of what I make over here. I know that right. I have a future over here rather than a present over here. Yep. And I've heard a lot of that lately from Twitch too. We were going to do, uh, you know, the podcast on Twitch originally, but then same thing. It's one of those that's easier to get monetized, so it's very appealing to a lot of people. But when you talk about your seven days a week, six hour a day or more, less appealing. Versus you did so, way less streaming on YouTube. I remember when you were doing YouTube streaming, it was you were doing streaming, but it was more like four hours a day, five days a week or something like that, right? It wasn't as crazy as you went on and not only that but youtube it only took you like what months to get to the 20 people in your chat on average True. um it took me from i think january to august the first year to get to a thousand subscribers four thousand hours of watch time and monetized versus twitch took me from in 2018 april till around november or so so the amount of time to get monetized on both platforms was about the same. It's just the barrier to entry on Twitch is super low. And I feel like the reasoning behind that is that it gives you an artificial uh, sense that you're making it, that you've done something when you really haven't. I'm going to be honest with you. If you can't get to three average viewers, you're probably doing something wrong to the point that you need to build an audience off-platform and then start over again. Whereas on YouTube, 4,000 hours of watch time and 1,000 people subscribe to you You've accomplished something. You've done something good and you're making progress. But on Twitch, you might get to three or four viewers, get high enough in the, in the browse list, and then no one can find you anymore because when you sort from low to high, you're not there. And when you sort from high to low, you're not there. So you're in this state of Twitch limbo where no one can find you. And eventually you'll lose regulars, you'll lose some ambition, you might stream for a while and get down to one or even zero viewers, but then you're at the bottom again. And the way that Twitch is structured, you can gain more viewers at the absolute bottom or top. So now that you're at the bottom, you gain two or three viewers, you go back mm. into Twitch limbo and your growth stops again, unless you've got it coming from an external platform. And so have you, have you looked at any of the data about that growth on an external platform? Like, cause you mentioned like Twitter, I, the way that you spoke about it, you, you have to think that Twitter is damn near useless. 
I had a bit of an experience with Twitter. I signed up for Twitter. I was going through the Twitter tutorial, and they banned me because they told me I was a bot. Apparently, they didn't think a real person would go through their tutorial. Are you a bot? It took I me mean... three weeks to get unbanned from Twitter, and when I finally got unbanned on my account, I honestly spent a reasonable amount of time trying to figure Twitter out, and hmm. it didn't work. And what I found was, if you just follow thousands of people on Twitter... And then unfollow the ones that didn't follow you. And repeat that over and over again, you'll grow on Twitter, which is disgusting and stupid. So mm. if you look at Twitter accounts, any Twitter account that you see that has a similar number of followed accounts to people following it has done the exact same thing. And when I got into it, most of the accounts are doing that. So to me, the entire website is just, majoritively at least, unless you're already like Elon Musk or someone like that, or a, a celebrity on Twitter, it's basically just a giant follow-for-follow -follow echo chamber without real growth for 99% of the platform. In a similar vein to a problem that plagued Twitch for a little while there with follow for follow, view for view, view sharing, all that kind of stuff that they more or less mitigated and nullified about a year and a half ago when they lowered the number of streams that you can view per IP address from like five or six to two mm. and still count as a viewer. But Twitter was a complete dead end for me. And I had no idea that going in because all the gurus, all the guides, all the experts said, yeah, you got to get on Twitter and post two or three times a day. And so does everyone. And I've never, in hundreds and hundreds of Twitter posts, I think I might've gotten one click on my Twitch account and I mm -hmm. doubt they followed. <laughs> so what about other platforms? Other platforms than Twitter that I tried. Um, I tried Instagram until I realized that you can't, post from a desktop on it and just backed away from that one slowly. Uh, I looked into some other platforms. I think TikTok is probably the most explosive growth platform right now. It's still a little bit newer. It has a lot more potential for growth, but at the same time, I won't touch it with a 10-foot pole because I feel like I'm too old for TikTok. I feel like I'll just be like, hello, fellow kids on TikTok. <laughs> like, it just seems yeah. creepy to me. Yep. I respect um, that. Like, you either already have to have a presence established elsewhere for being an adult on TikTok to be okay, or you should just not be on TikTok. I think some people care more and some people care less. Some people, like, some people will just be like, yeah, I'm 40, I'm on TikTok, I don't care. Personally, I would rather grow on YouTube for YouTube, which is slower. It's the wrong choice as far as growing it as a business. I should absolutely pay somebody to run a TikTok for me, and I'll just edit the videos and throw them out there to them. I just don't do that, but that absolutely would be a better way to go. Um, as far as off-platform for Twitch growth, though, there's nothing in my eyes that compares to YouTube. Just because you can, you can post something, people can watch it 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, and moreover than that, they can search for it. That's the one thing Twitch always just disappointed me on, is that there's no searching for keywords, there's no searching for your titles. The only thing that matters for your Twitch titles, people are always, oh, you need a unique Twitch title to stand out. Yeah, well, everyone has one. They all look the same. You don't stand out. And that brings it right back around to what we all were talking about earlier. What the whole point of this podcast is, is it comes right back around to the data, right? Like YouTube has a better grasp on the data that you control and how that data affects what you're doing. Like when you tell me the metric, just, just in the metric alone and what you're measuring, I can tell that it's doing better for you. And that's because with Twitch, you're saying, yeah, I had up to 40 people an hour watching, right? <clears throat> Which is cool. It's 40, yeah. it's an hour, you know, so many people per so many hours a thing. But when you say I got 4,000 hours of watch time, 
Like you couldn't even really do that in Twitch without having 4,000 viewers because there's no video recording. They have to watch you live to get 4,000 hours. With YouTube, they I know, hey, I think they can now watch now your VOD at- for like two weeks afterwards, but I mm-hmm. honestly don't even know if it counts towards your watch time. But you're not building up content or anything to have this hours of watch time. I also don't know anybody who actually watches VODs for more than seconds at a time. <laughs> I tried to watch them once, the player crashed, and then it gave me an ad, and I never came back. <laughs> yeah, see, exactly. But even that, like, let's say somebody likes your stuff and finds it, wants to go back in, like, the last couple or see a certain episode or something, at least they can on YouTube, where Twitch, it's gone. Like, you won't even get watch hours anymore. That's just a viewer you'll never yep. get. Uh, a more broad version of this question, I asked you, how do you keep up with all of this? How do you, how do you understand all this? You probably use YouTube, right? Like, you literally look up what's going on on YouTube on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. I do and my I market think- research for the platform on the platform. This is ad hoc too, right? You're not like building elaborate Excel spreadsheets where you're comparing A to B and then being like, ah, I'm going to go with A. I feel better now. A lot of it is you're kind of doing the research and absorbing it and moving on while you're doing it, right? Yeah, I find if I don't internalize it, then I lose it. If I try and write it down and then reference it later, it doesn't resonate with me later. But if I try and internalize it, make it a long-term memory thing, go, okay, this guy's yep. this guy over here on this channel, this, this is what I need to be doing. That right there is what I'm not doing. That's what I need to change. That works a thousand times better for me. But some people do prefer to have, as you say, like a, a big spreadsheet of ideas or things or changes or data that they need to make, what's working, what's trending, what's not. And yeah. a lot of this stuff I'll look up two or three times in the course of a week. Like if I want to live stream a game, I'll generally look up the game itself on YouTube, look at who's live streaming it, sort it by view count, see who's working and who's not working with it. And then take that information and take it to Google trends and look for keywords that they might've missed keywords that are trending keywords that are already doing well. And then I'll sort it to seven days and see what time of day those are being searched for and then plot my streams around that. And if they don't work out, they don't work out. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. A lot of it'll come down to maybe there's a huge Spanish audience or a huge Japanese audience for a game, and that's what the big search traffic bump is, but I only speak fluent English. So I've got to still plot that around. Is school in season right now? Is it the weekend? Is it a long weekend? Is it summer holiday? Is it March break? Is it, you know, is this time of day going to fit in with the audience that I'm looking to cultivate? It's wild. It's just wild to me how much how much actually goes into it. Yeah, and it, it really is. And people just think you just riff. You know what I mean? Like, I just hit record and go. Oh, yeah, I just hit a button. I go live. I play games. 100 people show up. It's easy. It's fine. <laughs> no, not And not I mean, to close. some extent, you have to hit that go button, right? You have to just do it. Yeah. But you can't only just do it and just assume it's all going to work out okay. Mitigating failures. If you just do it and it screws up, you have to understand why. You have to understand where your expectations reasonable. Maybe you're a brand new YouTuber. And if you've got three viewers as a brand new YouTuber, that might actually be really good and you can build on that. But if you've got 100,000 subs and you're getting 10 viewers, why? Why aren't they watching you? Did you get subscribers from different content and they don't have an interest in your new content? Are you tagging it poorly? Or did you fail to build a succinct community? You know, what yeah, is right. the reason that you're failing? So I'm sure you're not looking to put together like uh, like a YouTube collective here. Like I'm sure you're not trying to hire anybody in your field or anything for this currently, at least. I'm not saying that's not a future possibility here, but um, I I want to take a minute to I guess help anybody who could be in that future position and ask you uh, without coming off like a guru because I know we just you know spent ten minutes making yeah. fun of gurus. 
What <laughs> is there any like fundamental advice that you could give to somebody who wants to come up in this space, whether they want to be an editor for a YouTuber or they're trying to look for content? Is there is there something that you wish you had known months or years ago? There's something that I see a huge amount of new YouTubers doing, and it puts me off of their channel immediately. If I see somebody doing this, I will go out of my way not to watch them in the future. And that's for begging for success that you haven't earned. What I mean by that is, we talked about all these things that you've got to do. You've got to do market research. You've got to do SEO. You have to understand your audience. You have to understand how to appeal to them and find them. You have to understand how they find you. And if you haven't done that, and you're going into, say, live stream saying, hey, sub to me to get me to 100 subs. If you get to 100 subs, what happens now? You didn't earn those subs. They couldn't find you. You didn't do the work, and now it's not scalable. You can't mm. just go, okay, now get me to 1,000, to 10,000, to 100,000, because there's no, it's, there's no foundation. So the advice that I would give to anyone starting out on YouTube is, don't. is one, <laughs> try not to get overwhelmed with it, because there's a lot of information to take in. But learn how people find content, and then emulate that. Look up whatever it is that you're going to make, look it up and see what the first video that comes up is and try to figure out why that was the first video to come up. And then take those lessons and apply them to a video of yours and see if it works. And if it doesn't, figure out why it didn't and iterate and iterate and iterate upon that. I love that. I, I got to get you to make that course. Like how yeah, much I, do I have to pay you to get that to be a course available on datalab.com where people I, can learn all kinds of great stuff like this? Didn't expect the introspection on it, but I love that you, you was basically succinctly said it's going to be work and you have to be willing to do the work. And I think that absolutely that comes back to exactly what like I, without, you know, the shameless plug, I guess what, what Rob's trying to talk about with data lab is literally like, you know, the, the whole, the side hustle lab and all of that. It's, it's that it's there, there is work. That was the problem. Right? Like, I wish I could just like release a $5,000 class and say, pay me this $5,000 and in an hour you get all the knowledge, but it doesn't work like that. Like you have to piece together what you need as you need it. And it takes time. It takes you understanding like you did situationally. Hey, maybe I should think more about who's watching, <laughs> right? From that knowledge, yeah. an entire like river started flowing for you, which is really cool to me. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people I think are in that same situation where they're so getting perfect on, do I have the right microphone? Do I have the right lighting? Do I have the right camera? Am I saying it the right way? Did I go to the right speech classes? When it's like, no, are you talking about dogs to people who like dogs? Are you talking about dogs because you're interested in them and just hope everybody wants to see your video? And I exactly. think that's a, a really cool thing I, I got from you today while we are talking about all this. I like that we didn't even say like or subscribe or anything until this point in the video, because to your point, until it adds value to you, I don't even want people's like or subscribe, right? Like, make sure I'm not getting in your feed just to be in your feed. Like, let's make sure you're getting value out of what we're producing here and then help me do that. Is, that, is the relationship. But that being said, yeah. if you are finding value in Podcast Lab, we would love if you uh, like, subscribe, commented, and followed us wherever you find your podcast. Yay, yes, please. And tell your friends. What are, what are, what are friends? Oh, sorry. Never mind. Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> oh, wait, what? <laughs> I think you're just bots. <laughs> oh, everybody's I mean, a bot. I'm even guilty of saying in my own content and live stream, when I was trying to get to 10,000 subs and I was at 9,900 and change, some people came in and were like, okay, time to go make a bunch of, of you know, secondary accounts to sub to you. And I outright told them, please don't do that because I want my sub count to be reflective of how many people are actually interested in my content 
how well I've done at making my content and finding the audience that wants to see it. I don't want it to just be a great big artificially inflated balloon because I don't actually get anything out of having more subs. At a thousand subs, you get monetized. Anything past that is just gravy. What you get is people watching you. And if people aren't watching you, you're dead in the water. The only benefit, I guess, to subs is at 100,000 on YouTube, they send you a silver play button to hang on the wall. Ooh. I can go make one of those at Home Depot if I really want to. <laughs> yeah, we can make a that really fancy one. doesn't get me anything on the platform. Yeah. I, I love that your focus is on the right metrics too, man. You're just definitely like, hey, what do I need now? And do you have yeah. any YouTube goals that you want to hit next with either your, with any of your channels? Or do you want to get a channel, the other channel monetized? Or do you want to get this channel to 100,000? Or is it just enjoying the ride? Obviously, dollars are fun, right? Well, nice. I didn't think that I would get this far. I After <laughs> I two it. years of Twitch... Two years of Twitch, and I don't mean to be depressing here, but two years of Twitch was disheartening because I had a little blip of growth for a couple of months with that bit of content we talked about that did well, and then it died, and when I tried to come back to that content, it just didn't perform anywhere near as well as it did in the first place because it was already kind of stale. So with YouTube, with regard to YouTube, I never thought that I would make it this far, so I'm already at a point where I'm stunned by my own success, which isn't even that successful. So I'm trying to make sure that I don't get overwhelmed by that. And I think the expression is to stay hungry, to continue to feel like there's more success to be had, like you've never quite made it, so that you're still pushing forwards, learning more and iterating and getting better. Now, for my own personal goals, I'd like the cooking channel to get to a thousand subs and four thousand watch hours, but I also don't feel that I've earned that because I haven't put out enough content, because I've been using it to learn how to make different styles of content and different editing styles. And I'd even go as far as to say I haven't fully decided what editing style I want to use for that content, so that means that I haven't really niched down enough. Right now it's cooking, way too big of a niche recipes next niche down do i want to go with well-edited food instagram type videos do i want to go with recipes for people for how to follow them do i want to go with like meme tiktok tasty kind of recipes etc etc and that's still a decision that i'm trying to make and trying to feel out the market for for the main cork lops channel i would really like it to to continue to do as well as it has but if i can get it to about 10 times the daily viewership that's sort of what my goal for this time next year would be. I don't care how many subs it gets. I don't care about really any other metric. I just want 10 times as many people watching it at this time next year as there are right now. That's a good goal. I think that's, I mean, and you blew that out of the water this year. Like you wanted to hit 10,000 this year and here we are early September. I wanted to hit 3,000 this year. 10,000 <laughs> was, I don't think I would ever have a chance of doing this. This is a pipe dream. I'll set a goal further than what I can reach. And, and stay hungry. I hit it like four months later. Yeah. So right. now my goal for this year, my internal, I, not a bloody chance, goal for the Corklops channel is 100,000 subs by New Year's this year. Right, but just I to give you some it. sort of stretch goal in your head, right? You're not because you exactly. don't want to just. I never gotcha. want to set a goal that I can reasonably hit without too much effort. I, I want to set a goal that I would have to go a thousand percent of what I'm currently doing to be able to achieve. What I like how like not having a goal isn't even an option to you. There's a lot of people that are like, yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm doing my thing on YouTube. It is what it is. You're like, no. Oh, I was like have... that for decades. I never used to set goals. I never understood the purpose of setting goals. Teachers were terrible on that one because it was like, oh, set the goal and achieve it the next day. Well, that's just Tuesday. 
You know, they never had yep. a far enough reaching goal because you reasonably couldn't in school. No. But with something that I feel personally accountable for and the success of is 100% dependent on whether or not I've tried my best, it actually incentivizes me to set a goal that I want to eventually try and hit. And that was what was missing for me for years and years and years. So this is actually a really new thing to me to try and set goals like this. And part of it is because actually seeing the channel achieve those goals that I had thought were completely insurmountable. I, dude, I love that you're going through that. Right, I'm going to steal it as a perfect segue to another question we ask everybody. Are you familiar with the uh, imposter syndrome or the type of uh, the whole words the thing called imposter syndrome? Does the syndrome? Tin Man have a sheet metal editor edit this part out? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, imposter syndrome is my middle name. I absolutely get, okay, don't think that it. I've I absolutely don't think like I I sometimes will wake up, log into YouTube, look at it and go, "Oh, I'm at 10,370 subs right now." I didn't I didn't deserve that. Why am I there? How did I do this? They they're 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 going to figure it out. I have oh Right, right, right. Like, they're going to come take your subs away, right? <laughs> yeah, like where people are going to realize that I'm actually a crap content creator and there's a thousand people better than me. But the counterpoint to that is, the more that you realize it doesn't matter if you're the best in your field, you just have to be good enough. The more imposter syndrome kind of fades into the distance a little bit, and as long as you're whatever your perception of good enough is, you're not an imposter, you're yourself. And that's, that's where my imposter syndrome comes from, because it took me a long time on Twitch of, okay, well, we've got 30 or 40 views on this well-performing piece of content, and then the next thing killed my growth, and that made me go, okay, so this is where I actually should have been this whole time, is three and five and seven viewers. Yeah, anything to get over I that, that like, learned. this is, I really am a failure, they finally caught me, right? Like, because we all go through yeah, these ups exactly. and downs, and it feels like when you go through that, you're like, ah, finally, back to where I should have been, that was out. <laughs> I know, I it's almost relieving to fail in it those situations sounds... because you don't expect that you're going to, to do that well. Amen. It's almost like it gives you the out to not have to keep going. And honestly, yeah, it's nice exactly. to give yourself that out, right? Yeah, it's nice to have that, yeah. It's comfortable. And as you've said a lot of times, Rob, if you're comfortable, you're not working. You're not progressing. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to go into the summer heat and get the goddamn job done. You have to turn the air conditioner up a couple of pegs. That's for my course too, actually, isn't it? That's real. That, that, yeah, that is. And I, it's just funny because Ryan and I were just talking it, about yeah. that. We we're just talking yesterday about how to become an expert. It's not just 10,000 hours. I, I actually wrote another video and shared it on our Discord. It says you have to have a valid environment to practice in. You have to get repeated experiences where you're doing it again and again. You need timely feedback on whether you did it well or not. And you need to be uncomfortable trying new things. You can't just get really good at doing the RuneScape videos, right? You got to get really yeah. good at trying to niche into the other stuff. And you did all, you just explained this, which is great. Uh, that That's how you became a master of these things is spending hours just, you know, failing in different directions and not failing the same way again and again. And not letting the failures feel like failures, right? Like failure is so part of growth, but a lot of people just try to avoid the heck out of it. A failure is only a failure if you didn't learn from it. Truth, man. I love how you say that. So my progression with YouTube, I had started with, okay, I was on Twitch, I want to play video games, now I'm on YouTube, and I'm going to continue to play video games because it's easy, it's an easy transition. <laughs> Doing that for a fairly long period of time, I realized, okay, what are some other skills that I have that are marketable that other people want to know? And because the pandemic was so prevalent at the time, cooking exploded. Basically, there was a whole phase where people were making sourdough bread for three months, I don't even know why. And... Mm -hmm. 
starting to try and branch out into that taught me so bloody much. Making video game content is one thing because the game is already at whatever the frame rate is that you want it to. You can set it up in OBS to be the scene that you want it to be. When you're trying to film something in reality, and you're, in my case, using a cell phone to do so, and you have no idea about three-point lighting, and you buy a $20 cheapo knockoff garbage thing on Amazon to solve a problem, and it disintegrates during the first video, and you've got to learn from that, and you don't have $10,000 to set up a, a whole studio, you start to learn how to improvise, and you start to have to learn what you can what you can accomplish reasonably. And it really reins in your expectations from, I'm going to make the next Adam Ragusea video, or the next Binging with Babish video, to, I'm going to make the best that I can, and that's as good as I'm going to be able to do. And the next video will be a little bit better, because I'll have learned what my limitations are and how to how to work on them. Oh, yeah. And I'm meanwhile doing a terrible job at the what's funny is what you're doing with the reasonable recipes I was doing with the studio. I'm trying to figure out how yeah. I get my audio and video. And it's you don't think about those things when you're like, I'll talk about how to make a recipes channel. How hard can that be? Oh, that's right. I need all the video production background. Like when I started talking about how to do storyboards and write out scripts and all this is stuff that I didn't learn in business school, you know, but you yep. just kind of go with it. I love that you just kind of leaned into all that stuff. What was crazy. And I remember when he showed you when he showed me that video. <clears throat> I said something that a, a friend of mine said before from the Navy band. I said, that's not just good. That's good enough. And I yep. said, I can't get to good enough. Meanwhile, I've been trying to play around with editing software. I have all Adobe. I've taken the classes and it's not that I couldn't figure out where to drag and drop stuff. I couldn't figure out how to get that into my timeline to get the product out the door. So I'd start recording. Then I get lost for a day or two editing. And I'd be like, oh, wait, let me get back to recording. And I was like, it is I just need somebody... Work to make sure the audio sounds good enough all the way through to make sure whatever video I have is usable and helps me get the PowerPoint across the rest will tweak and fix. And it was like, Dave's got that. And what was crazy to me is that when you started getting it, you got it so quick. Like you started picking up, we were in a cadence of just sending video back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's actually where the Dave Barlow editing service came from. Cause I was like, you know, in addition to editing courses and <laughs> I've said this to three or four people that already want to buy the service before we're fully releasing it yet. <laughs> and I'm like, you know how when you go on vacation, you come back with just a ton of digital video that maybe you upload some to Facebook that you didn't edit, but other stuff just dies on your phone or on your camera or whatever. I was like, what if you could just put that in a folder and drop it to somebody and let them edit down a 20 minute video for you. And you just go through your actual experience and have that for you to go to later and not have to worry about those pictures. And they're like, I want that now. And when I knew yep. what you could do, I was like, you can do that because you're not just good. You're good enough. Absolutely. And that's, again, that's identifying a market and finding a way to fill a niche for that market. It and comes I mean, right the, back around to what we talked about before. It, it's something that is all around us and we just don't realize until we're looking for the market. You know, like people like to think of a market like the old Arabian markets where you walk up and there's a sand thing and everybody's got their little booth. That's what a market is. And that's not how markets work, man. People around us want things. And if we can identify a way to, you know, solve that want, that is a market. Absolutely. But, but that also comes back to sort of the idea we talked about earlier too, is that that want, that desire has to have enough of a pain point for them to make that, to make that decision, right? And that's oh, data in and of itself is like, if, if they're comfortable, they won't want for that thing. Dude, that's a hundred percent. Right. That's a hundred percent. Right. And that's why I started with that course. Like I wanted to make, so I started data lab. You think I'd make data courses. And actually some of the people I say, Hey, you should take my data course. They're like, bro, I write C sharp. I'm a programmer. What are you going to teach me about data? <laughs> and I'm like, no, my first course isn't about data. My first course is about how to get the person that you are to start focus on the stuff you want to do in a repeatable way. 
right? Like how do we approach that and sort through all the ideas, get a plan together and say, Hey, am I working on this right or not? And I mean, you didn't even need a lot of spreadsheets for that Cork, but you did have to definitely take that mindset, whether you did it before me with me or what was kind of funny is while you were working with Ryan, I was building this course, testing it on Ryan and his family and his boss. And we're kind of like working through all this material before we even wrote it down. Right. Like the same kind of concepts, Mm -hmm. just no safety net. You guys are just out there doing the best you can, which was amazing. And I mean, we don't have to do good, just good enough. Well, you got 10,000 subscribers in under a year. Like, that's insane. Like, that's insane. I would love for us to have that. That would be amazing to me if we had 10,000 people in 12 months from today. You know, like, I just think that's so cool you did that. So I don't know, man. I'm, we'll I'm get impressed you there. with you're using the did. exact same skill set. They want uh, Dave Barlow editing service, like and comment and all that stuff in the comment down below, right? Imposter syndrome is where we went off the rails. So let's bring it back to that. So uh, we talked a little bit about the imposter syndrome and how you, or that you deal with it, but how do you deal with it? Do you have any advice for anybody on how to like keep moving forward? I mean, I know personally, the imposter syndrome shuts me down on a daily basis. And I think it's because there's not a really good response loop for what I do. Like at the end of the day, it's just done, right? Like there could always be better marketing. There could always be better video editing. There could always be better. Instead of focusing on what you think other people think of you, Focus on what you've accomplished. Look at what you've accomplished. Look at what it's done for you. Look at where you've succeeded and where you've failed and try to understand where you are and why you're there instead of going, okay, well, I shouldn't be here. Understand why you are there. That'd be my response for how to get over imposter syndrome. I like that. A lot of what I've been doing personally is that idea, like you said, of trying to improve a little bit every time you do a thing. It's that idea that if you improve 1% on everything that you put out and you put out a thing every day, you've improved thousands of percent over the year because it compounds on top. Absolutely. And you might improve on one thing and get a little bit worse on another thing. But at that point, as long as you understand what has happened, as long as you've learned from it, it's not a failure. You might make a video where your editing really sucks and it doesn't have good pacing, but all of a sudden that's the video that had way better audio. Now you're better at audio. You can fix the pacing in the next one. You've already learned that skill and you've learned what you've messed up. Yep. I love it. I love that. You've given us a really deep dive into how data is what content creation is. Like, Like you said earlier, it's not just going live. It's not just slapping a video out there. There's an infinite amount of pre work you could do for it, it sounds like. And so before we, uh, before we sign off here on our first episode of Podcast Lab, thank you again for joining us, by the way, Cork. And uh, Rob, I guess you don't have a choice, but thank you for joining us as well. <laughs> Ryan, thank you for running it, guys. I couldn't do it without these two. They're an amazing team. And I, I honestly wouldn't be where I was or, or am right now without them. So or where I even planned to go, I wouldn't have probably undertake without the two of these guys. So thank so you. Here, here's, here's my favorite way to put you on the spot, Cork. You've now got the next oh, 60 no. seconds to tell the entire internet that listens to this podcast where the heck to find you and what you're working on. Ready, set, oh, 60 no. seconds. I'm on the internet. There's some <laughs> neat stuff on that there internet. Now, um, I have a YouTube channel called Corklops, C-O-R-K-L-O-P-S. The reason that it's called Corklops is I used to make homemade wine, so wine corks. I am visually impaired, got really bad vision in one eye, so Cyclops, cork. Cyclops, Corklops, most people just call me Cork. If you want to find the cooking channel, it is called Reasonable Recipes. And if you 
that, that that's about it, actually. If you want to join the Discord server and join my community outside of my stream, there's links in pretty much all of my videos. So if you can find the Corklops channel, you can find the Discord in the description. Thank you again for being here, Cork. It was an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you and uh, learn a little bit more about the behind the scenes of what you do. I know you and I work together a fun. lot, but hearing that perspective is, um, you know, uh, Rob and I find that we assume a lot of things in our heads often, you know, like processes and whatever else, because we do it every day. So it's really cool to see it from somebody else's perspective laid out the way that you did. Yeah, it was really fun to be on here and have this, uh, this little chat. Hopefully someone will get something useful out of it. And if you have gotten something useful out of it, don't forget to like and subscribe for more podcasts like these. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, everybody else, for listening to our first episode of Podcast Like a Business Podcast Lab. We'll be available uh, wherever podcasts are hosted. We're hoping to be on Spotify, YouTube, uh, and just about everywhere else. So please keep an eye out for it. If you've got an idea of something you'd like to see on our podcast, we'd love to hear about it. Um, or a person for that matter. We are always looking to interview people who uh, work with data in any capacity. As you can see, YouTube is a, a data source that you might not have thought about. So data is in literally everything. Thank you all for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of Podcast Lab.